Hi, this is Steve Springer, and we are talking about worshiping God God's way, a biblical perspective of the origin of worship. We're in the last two short chapters, chapter 11 and chapter 12. And in chapter 11, there's a subtitle or a, that I use here, and it's How Does God Feel About Worship? I have to say this, it's hard to know really how God feels or how deeply he feels about anything. Um, people can tell you they know, they can express themselves in a way that makes us feel that they really understand the depth of God. I don't know if I can do that, but I, I know if I stay close to scriptures that I know, specific things that I've studied and looked at myself, then I know I can give it a little more of a, the thought of like, I think I do know what God's saying here. You know, I, I, I really sense when I read this, this is what he's trying to say, how he feels. And when it comes to worship, that's a good question to ask. If you're going to say you are a worshiper or you're going to worship somewhere, you can say, God, how do you feel about that? And in the scriptures that I have here, I'm just going to go over them. There's not that many, but I just want to go over these with you because it might help you understand how he feels about true worship. The first scripture is Exodus 20, verses 4 through 5. In Exodus 20, he starts off in verse 4 saying, You shall not make for yourselves an image in the form of anything. Anything in heaven or anything on earth or anything below the earth. The point he's making is the image that we have in our minds turns into an actual physical image we make with our hands. They would make, at this time in history, they would make images of gods, and the gods, they would take care of them, they would clean them, they would always be serving them, keeping them in good condition and in the right place so they can always find it, that, that it would always be available to people. And that image, and it's interesting to me because he says in heaven, he starts there first because people look into the sky and they would make an image out of it. They would talk about the sun or they talk about planets or, or some kind of weather thing that happened. And some people even go further and talk about what's above all of that, the images and the things we don't see but they know are in heaven, and they stretch it out. They talk about things that they've never seen, but they make images out of that. And then he talks about just being on earth. So you find on earth it's simple and very um, accessible for us to find things that we are attracted to and that we make an image out of and we build and sculpt something that we feel is important. And some people even go as far as taking a stone, a specific rock, and they make that an idol. They make that, that image for them. They do it with all sorts of things, animals and, and of course, people. And then he talks about even below, down deep, in the ground or in, under the water or in the center of the earth, places that people will see it, 
something and they'll think, oh, that must be a God, or they begin to imagine things. So imagination plays a lot when it comes to idol worshiping. But you think about this, when Paul was in the middle of that beginning of the first century, he was traveling from place to place. He, in Ephesus and a few other places as well, there are people that are worshiping idols, and it was very popular to have idols. And he would go through a town, and the first problem he'd have with anybody was they would think he was coming to rob them of their idols and rob them of their income. And he would say, look, you you should be worshiping Jesus and this idol doesn't even live. It's not living, but he would just sort of talk to them and it would cause them to get very upset with him. Well, some of those idols that he had to deal with in say 40 or 50 AD, some of those idols are still for sale in marketplaces in Syria, for instance, uh, there are places you can go and you'll find people selling the same idols that Paul talked about in that first century. So it's not just a first century idea. Now, and now that we're in you know the 21st century and plus and heading further out, we're still seeing those idols. People are still bowing before those idols. It's still happening. And some of us within Christianity, within the parameters of Christianity, I should say, there are people who have statues, they have pictures, uh, they have places in their homes that they pay attention to, that they'll kiss, that they honor, uh, that they'll pray to. They'll go to those things, those images, and those are just similar, equal to idols that were in the first century and that are still alive today. So you can't just say, oh, idol worship is for the heathens and other worlds. You have to realize and be honest with yourself that there are idols in Christian homes as well. So it's always something that we're facing and God's facing. So when God's talking about Exodus and the people in at this time period, he's also talking about us. He's so into the future. He's always talking, and his words are going into the future. They don't get stuck at a certain century. So he says this, you shall not bow down to these things or worship them. He says it twice, don't bow, don't worship. He, he structures that sentence to give it almost a double dip, Don't physically bow down. Don't physically worship them. And he says, because, and he gives you a reason, because I am the Lord, your God, I'm here for you. He said, and when you do that, when you worship those things, it makes me jealous. God's feelings, they begin to well up and they transform and they get into a place of being jealous. And jealousy, if we had time to talk about it, it's not something that is a big sin. People are, we're created in God's image. We experience jealousy. So we can relate to God's jealousy in a good sense. So I want to say this, that that's the first 
type of feeling that if you were to study worship, that's probably the first thing you would read, that he's jealous about it. But that's not the only one. In John 4, 24, and we've talked about this a lot during this time together. In John 4, 24, it says that God, the Father, that he is actively seeking people to worship him. He is actively, daily looking for people who will come to him and bow down to him. That tells me that he has a very deep feeling. One of the translations uses the word craves. He has a craving for people to do that. In Revelation 11.1, there is a scripture here that is very you know, it, it could be looked at a lot of different ways. People interpret Revelation a lot of different ways. They talk about it just, you know, who knows how many different angles you can take on this. But I'm looking at this verse 11.1. 1. I'm going straight at it, not trying to turn or twist it. I'm just going to read it for what it is. 11.1 1 says, Then I was given a measuring stick. He goes, And I was told by that angel, he said, Go and measure the temple of God. And the altar, and count the number of worshipers. Now, I've got to make a point here. He's not telling him to measure people that are in the courts of the Lord. He's not saying, go look at how many people are in the courts of the Lord praising. Don't look at how many people are sitting over to the left or to the right of this temple. He says, go in to the heart of the temple, go into the altar, the holy place, count the number of people that are there and those who are actually worshiping. You see, they're most likely, in my mind, the image I get in this, out of this, is that there are a lot of people out in the courts They're outside, they're listening, they're singing, they're dancing, they're enjoying the thought of their God and all that he's done. They're there because of him, because he is their God. But he is looking and wanting and seeking and jealous for the people that go into the altar place, the holy of holies. He says, measure those Measure those people. Tell me how many are in there. Now, lastly, I go to Romans 14, 10 through 12. And I go to this place because Paul is talking about two different things, and, but he connects it together. And this is important for us to know. He says this, then You then, why do you judge your brother or your sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? You know, for we we will all stand together before God's judgment seat together. So he's given us a little heads up. There's, There's a judgment seat coming. Revelations is coming. There's things happening in the future. And he reminds us, he says, so it's written. This is what God is saying. As surely as I live says the Lord, every knee will bow before me 
Every tongue will acknowledge my greatness. They will acknowledge that I am God. So then each of us will give an account for ourselves to God. Paul in this verse is talking about relationships. He's talking about the issues that our people are having with one another. And he says these things really matter. You know, when you judge or you have contempt or you're angry or just going after other believers and you shouldn't be doing that. He said, I'm just going to warn you, there's a time coming. You're going to have to stand before God. He's going to judge that. But he mixes in the verse in Isaiah that says, as surely as I live, you're going to bow before me. As surely as I live, every single person on the face of the earth, whether they are enjoying it or where they're hating it, they are going to bow before me and they are going to say, whether they enjoy it or not, that God, he is acknowledged. I acknowledge that that is God right there. And all that he said is true. So how does God feel about worship? He feels very intently focused on worship. He's intentionally drawing attention to it. With Paul in Romans, he starts off with relationships, but he draws his attention to what the final is going to be. You'll have to be there worshiping him, so make sure you get this right. Because at that altar, Jesus said, if you have something against a brother or sister, you can't come to that altar. You can't come to this place and bow and worship me in sincerity if you have issues with your brother and your sister, like he's talking about in Romans 14. So for me to say to you, I know how God feels about worship, I'm pretty confident in saying he's jealous over it, he's actively seeking it, he's counting the numbers, he's very focused on it, and he's going to say this, every knee is going to do it. I can promise you that. That's how he feels about worship. 